Hey everyone, welcome to another week here on Scale Up with Nick Bradley. I'm very excited and proud to share the story of my next special guest. I haven't known Lewis Raymond Taylor for a long time, but for the time that I have known him so far, I was convinced enough that I wanted him to be on the show so he can reach even more people and tell his uniquely inspiring story. Which wasn't always easy nor ideal, by the way, but is great proof how one's resilience can transform even the most seemingly hopeless adversities in life into something positive, not just for the person who experiences it, but also for the people he eventually impacts and transforms. Now, you will notice me use the word transform or transformation a lot in this episode because that's how I see his journey. A fascinating story of personal transformation from the most unlikely situations. To tell you more about Lewis, he is an ex-convict who is now the CEO of the Coaching Masters, which they have built into a $25 million valuation business from scratch, currently serving 47 different countries and on a mission to change the world. Now, some of you may think you've heard this story before when a a former alcoholic or a drug abuser turns into a life coach. But let me tell you, this guy is the real deal. And I don't just mean the accolades he's been receiving lately, but more importantly, how I know him personally. And as you know, for those who have listened, subscribed to my podcast for a while now, I don't just bring anyone onto the show. But speaking of accolades and recognitions, you may have also heard about Lewis as he was recently given a full feature on Forbes and listed in the top 10 coaches in the world by Yahoo Finance. Some of the things we talk about in the next 45 to 50 minutes or so, as as uncomfortable as it may be for some, are valuable in their vulnerability and their honesty. But we hope for whatever you may be going through in your personal life, in your career, or in your business right now, you'll find parts in Lewis's story that will ignite that transformation that you need. Most people in the Western world, especially men from the UK like ourselves, you know, we don't really get taught to nurture those emotions and express those in a healthy way to the point where they they do get suppressed. All right, so let's dive in. Today, we're going to be discussing Lewis's tumultuous past, suffering from mental illness, substance misuse, sexual abuse, grief, trauma, but more importantly, how he turned his life around in 2015 by using the power of coaching to get clean and sober until eventually he became an accredited coaching trainer himself and an international speaker who now travels the world. You know, I wanted more from my life, but I just kept on falling back into the same difficult situations. Mm. But I had this realization, but I kind of knew that I needed to hit it hard, you know, because I've always been quite addictive. So I've been addicted to drugs, alcohol, gambling, everything you can think of. And then now I'm addicted to work. He shares his transformative journey of building a 25 million edtech empire, the Coaching Masters, which I mentioned earlier. And if you stick around to the end, you'll hear him share what's next for him and his team and also his ultimate dream, which looking at how amazing his journey has been so far, I think he definitely has what it takes to make that happen. So a powerful story, a powerful conversation. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Lewis Raymond Taylor. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for another week. 
Today, I am delighted to have a very special guest with me, uh, someone that I have known for not that long, but I love the fact of what he's doing in the world. He's trying to create a bigger impact. In fact, his big mission is more around that sort of thing than anything that's massively money related, which to be frank, is a bit of a breath of fresh air for a lot of the people that come onto this show. So Lewis, we're going to get to do a proper intro in a minute. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's let's get the full introduction in here. So full name. I always call you Lewis Raymond Taylor. Do you prefer that, no. or is it just Lewis Taylor? <laughs> it's Lewis Raymond Taylor. Yeah, it's almost a bit of a name change. I did actually. So my name is Lewis Taylor. My middle name is is Raymond. Um, but when I sort of ch- turned my life around, which I'm sure we're going to be diving into in a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wait. thought I could change my whole name, but that's a bit weird. Um, so I just added in my middle name, and also it's it's for searching purposes online i'm the only one in the world so it helps it does make it easier i must say there's yeah. about 40 million nick bradley's um <laughs> which is you know to find a dot com around that but but let's just go into that a little bit we are going to get into your story in a sec mm-hmm. um but just to play on this idea when you when you change your name to kind of mm-hmm. obviously create maybe a new identity mm-hmm. right and therefore a new a new kind of direction of travel once we get into the, the backstory was was where did that come from did you did you get a coach on that or did you learn about that the name? i need to sorry yeah, the name because the, the name is not really a name change, is it? It's more. Yeah, uh, no, it's just a. Uh, it feels different for me, you know. Yeah. I just I associated a lot to that old name, um, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I've since learned a lot about numerology, which is some crazy sort of like. Oh, I learned about this recently. That, yeah, but I, to be honest, that wasn't in my awareness at the time. Um, but I have learnt, since learned that actually changing your name can be hugely impactful for success, and a lot of people do it actually, oh, wow. uh, because they might not resonate with the right frequency of their name. Anyway, I didn't I didn't know that at the time, but um, I just wanted a fresh start. I'm I'm quite extreme in the way I do things, and I like the idea of just you know having my name said back to me and just feeling like it's a it's a blank blank piece of paper, you know. Well, we now have to, because we've teased everyone listening, we now have to cover and go into the story because everyone's like, what the hell are these guys talking about? What changing yeah, names? Yeah. What's happened? Uh, so just to sort of set the scene here, um, Lewis has got one of the most amazing backstories. As I said, I think we've had on the show, we've had some pretty good ones as well. You know, some pretty, you know, some things are quite challenging. Some things are just are just amazing and awe-inspiring. And I think Lewis's um, journey is a bit of all of that. So do you want to kind of share with us where, where it started? and mm-hmm. and all that and where it is now wow okay cool <clears throat> what sort of time limit have i got on this well, do you want i'm going to keep you to like... time we are, we I tell, you, I tell you what we like to do here we do like to have lessons so what i'll yeah. do is i will probably just jump in um at various points just okay. to kind of probe a bit deeper just to try and get out of that what what was actually going on in your mind mm. and what you've learned from it since that sort of thing but go for it Cool. I'd, yeah, I'll try and share it from a little bit of a value-based position because I've definitely learned some things along that journey. So from a young age, I've got the cliche story of having the alcoholic father that used to put him down a lot, you know, and um, yeah, it was, you know, I had a, a normal upbringing um, other than the fact that my dad was an alcoholic and he was quite verbally and emotionally abusive and physically as well. And from a young age, he kind of said things like, you're a buffoon, you know, when I was misbehaving and stuff, but you're a buffoon, you know, you're never going to amount to anything, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, I, and it's interesting you mentioned identity because I now know that I'd created this identity from a young age of being this bad kid. And that started to manifest itself very quickly in every part of my life. Um, I started to get in trouble with school. So I was expelled from school. I had an antisocial behavior order when I was actually 14. And I was just, you know, getting in trouble with the police, but it was quite juvenile at the time. It was like lighting fires and, you know, shoplifting and stuff like that. And then I ended up in a young offenders institution, at 18. 
Um, and yeah, at that age, I was getting a bit older now and this identity of being bad was, you know, getting worse and worse because I, you know, my dad told me I was bad. You know, the teachers in school told me I was bad. The police told me I was bad. And then I went for a uh, pre-sentence report as a part of my, um, a court uh, hearing because I was on trial for GBH and, uh, they sent me for a psychiatric assessment and they diagnosed me with an antisocial personality disorder, right? Googled it. It turned out it was a psychopath to cut a long story short. So I thought, wow, okay, now this is the final straw, you know, that broke the camel's back in terms of I'm bad because now I'm unhelpable. And I actually like researched it. And it was like, it's incurable. <laughs> You're yeah, just let's, just, let's just pause there for a second. There's a few, yeah. you've already gone about, you know, 20 years into most people's lives in the space mm. of about a minute. Um, first and foremost on this kind of, I, I was bad thing. Mm. And I know you probably haven't touched in, in the whole thing, but, but was that, was that environment just all around you? at that point in time. So it was kind of like a reinforced mm. message that just kind of got into your subconscious or something. I think it was mainly just wanting to be loved by my dad, you know, and not feeling like he did. And then realizing that there must be something wrong with me. And then of course the behavior will create a reaction in the environment. And then that will create more issues and more words being called. And I've also, you know, been quite maverick in terms of, you know, pushing against boundaries and stuff from a young age. Like uh, I was expelled from school for refusing to accept the authority of staff. <laughs> That's actually the exact right words they said. So from a young age, I've been quite disruptive. Um, and that obviously had put a lot of strain on my family, but yeah, that, that's mainly where it came from. It came from my dad to start with, you know, they're the most significant people in your life. And if you feel like they're, you know, yeah, the most significant and close people in your life don't love you, which maybe he did, but didn't feel, I didn't feel like he did. Um, then of course that's going to have a reaction. I didn't really understand what was going on. I just had this identity. I'm a bad kid. I do bad things. And that was it. I, I got into the wrong, you know, the cliche and wrong circles. Spiral, and, as they say, exactly. The it just gets worse the, and worse. The psychopath thing's interesting as well. Cause I mean, yeah. again, this is going to be an ignorant comment, but I'm just curious mm -hmm. now. Is, is it, is it true that you can be diagnosed with something like that and that's it? Because clearly we're going to get mm -hmm. into you. You're not like that or you've transformed into yeah. a very different person, but I, I sometimes think this is my personal judgment of it. I think sometimes mm. when you get labeled yeah, like that, that's course. not good, right? Is it because, well, because some people might hear that and that's all they ever hear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's an interesting one, right? Because I, I completely dismissed it as a label at the time, you know, because I was like, look, I'm taking drugs. I'm taking alcohol. I'm actually doing this on purpose in a way. Cause I'm just trying to be reckless. I did a justified my behavior in a sense. Yeah. Didn't think anything was wrong with me. Few, few years later, I actually diagnosed with other mental health diagnoses. So I actually got diagnosed with bipolar at one point as well, because I was so manic in my behavior um, that they actually thought I had bipolar. They actually described, prescribed me with antipsychotics. Right. And I definitely don't have bipolar because that's not you know present at all. And then when I went to prison for the third time, which is, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I got diagnosed with a um, emotionally unstable personality disorder. So I've had three diagnoses, right? I never really knew if any of them exist. All I know is I'm fine now. But what is interesting is I do sometimes display some of those antisocial behavior characteristics, even today, even though my behavior is very, very different and the way that I see the world and how I sort of interact with the world. I've got quite a low fear tolerance. I've got a, I can, I can be quite assertive. I can make decisions quite easily. I don't have to get involved with emotions so much. I'm quite low on the emotional spectrum, I would say. And that's either a trait of antisocial personality disorder, or that's a, a nurture, you know, that's a trauma because yeah, I mean, just to add a couple of extra things to the story, I was actually sexually abused when I was 11. Um, I walked in and found my dad dead after he was dying with cancer. And also in the, in a fit of a, uh, a um, sort of argument with my girlfriend at 18 years old. She told me she cheated on me and I picked up a knife and I cut both sides of my 
my neck and <laughs> was sectioned under the Mental Health Act. So in terms of trauma, wow. I can understand how I could emotionally shut down and not be able to express fully on, on, on a normal level. So there's that, there's that conversation of nature and nurture. Where did it come from? And I can't really answer that. I don't think no, I, it's funny. Be. I mean, my, I, I've had different experiences to you and nothing to the extreme of, of what you just described, but it's funny. I was always somewhat rebellious and I kept getting sacked from jobs, right? Cause I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't like anything authoritative that I didn't think was right. So that was kind mm-hmm. of whatever. Um, and also because I had, uh, my dad left and wasn't around for many years, like 35 years, he came back later and then died very suddenly. But, um, I had this, um, repression of emotion. Like, mm-hmm. so when I was, when I was very successful in the kind of world of private equity, certainly from the outside looking in, maybe not how I felt about it. Um, it was because I could repress, um, emotion about mm-hmm. decision-making and you'd have to for make sure. some tough decisions and I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. So it's not not the same as yours, but I do wonder on that continuum, right? Mm. Of those sort of things, there are different experiences which absolutely form, you know, mm-hmm. how you then decide to show up yeah. and do things. Well, that's emotional intelligence, isn't it? And, and that most people in the Western world, especially men from the UK like ourselves, you know, we don't really get taught to nurture those emotions and express those in a healthy way to the point where they they do get suppressed. So, you know, it's understandable why most people do have probably traits of, you know, sociopathy or, you know, antisocial narcissistic traits or whatever, because you have to develop something in order to, to, to grow into it, don't you? And, and if you don't develop your emotions, then obviously you can't feel certain things and that, that can have sort of symptomatic... Event, you, under, you understand it. You understand it in a much more detailed way now. It's funny. I um I just finished doing a, a solo episode of the podcast before you came on, and it was all about stuck in the middle, meaning that if you are living in a point of mediocrity, right, everything is kind of okay, average, mm. not not really great, not really bad, that you don't change. And then if something mm. pushes you to an extreme, mm-hmm. then quite often that can be the catalyst that makes change. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've experienced that. I certainly oh, yeah. have because I'm curious. I mean, obviously, you know, you're in this, let's call it a spiral going deeper, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of, I mean, how many times were you in jail? Three times. Three times. Okay. So that starts to become a repeating pattern, right? And I know mm-hmm. other friends, if you like, people who have been similar situations to you who have, who have got themselves out of that spiral, that deep dive. Mm-hmm. So how did you do that? So it was a realization and it's very simple, <clears throat> but for some reason I didn't get it. So I was blaming everything and everyone around me for why my life was so difficult. And I refused to take any sort of responsibility because I di- didn't understand that I could. I know it sounds crazy, but in hindsight, you know, you can look back on those things and say, oh, of course I was always in control. But when all these things are happening and you keep on getting those situations, I didn't, I, I just thought that was who I was and, you know, things couldn't change about me. So, you know, I was always going to be in that situation. And it came to a point in prison and the actual, the actual story uh, that occurred was I went to prison for 18 months for GBH. So I, uh, I was very drunk. I was in a taxi queue and, uh, a guy, I, I pushed into the front of the taxi queue. I didn't realize I did, but I was very drunk. Didn't know what I was doing. <clears throat> There's an alcoholic at this point, by the way, drinking every day, taking cocaine. And, uh, some guy started shouting in my face and still to this day, I can't remember what he looked like because all I can see is my dad's face when I think of that guy. And I just, he just triggered and it's no excuse at all, but he did trigger me and I, I I reacted and I punched him and he hit his head on the ground and he had a brain hemorrhage. Um, he he survived, he was fine now, uh, three days in hospital and yeah, but it was a real wake up call. I went to prison for GBH. Um, got, uh, would have got three years, but pleaded guilty at the scene. They cut it down to 18 months. 
and uh, I was in prison and I, I spoke to my friend on the phone. Um, no, actually I spoke to my mum and I said, Oh, what, what people are, what are people saying about me on social media and stuff like that? And, uh, they said, Oh, there's one picture of you. Um, your, your friend posted a picture of you outside the courtroom when you were sentenced and also this outside the same courtroom seven years before. So my friend had a picture of me outside the same courtroom, but was seven years gap. And he put up on the, in the caption, nothing changes. And I thought, is that oh a friend? <laughs> Are we saying friends in the inverted commas world here? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not friends anymore. But it kind of hit home because I was like, do you know what? He's right. Nothing has changed. It was literally, I was wearing the same suit, you know, seven oh. years later. The only thing that changed was the time outside the same courtroom. And I kind of realized in that moment, you know, cliches as it sounds, went back to my prison cell, looked at myself in this like scratched off mirror, you know, and looked, sort of stared at myself and just thought, if I want my life to change, I've got to change myself, you know, cliche and as cheesy as, as you would ever believe. But I just kind of got it in that moment. And I realized, right, I need to change. That's the, that's the thing. But that's, but that's, and, uh, that's bizarre in its own right, man. I mean, like not, and again, I can't, I haven't been to jail, right. I can't imagine mm-hmm. what that experience is like from, from actually being there and being there for the, the time you have, but to have that awakening, mm-hmm. right. It's me. No, normally, yeah. normally someone, there's normally some form of intervention. I'm not saying that it has to be that case by the way, but was there a moment? Was was there a point where I'm maybe digging a little bit too deep into this, but was there a point where you said enough is enough? It was just, that was the moment. Yeah. I mean, there was intervention, but it came after that. So that was the, that was the realization. Oh, you know, I am the problem. (laughs) Fuck. And if I'm the problem, I'm the solution, you know, and this is the kind of thing that you could talk about up on stage, but it's, you know, the truth, you know, that's actually what happened. No, but it's, I I love this though. I mean, and it's very appropriate for this, this, this show because, because, you know, I talk about, um, everything starts with your self-perception, right? And mm. the reality you create. I was talking about the internal world versus external world this morning, right? If that internal world is all over the place and you can't, you know, or you don't start to um, do things to affect it, the outside mm. world is going to be a pretty average place, if not terrible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and, and in, ter- in terms of intervention, like that decision is not enough because, you know, I've made sort of milder decisions that weren't so intrinsic about changing things around me and the friends that I hang around with and the amount of drugs that I do and stuff. And it just always leads back to the same thing. You know, I wanted more from my life, but I just kept on falling back into the same difficult situations. Mm-hmm. But I had this realization, but I kind of knew, I kind of knew that I needed to hit it hard, you know, because I've always been quite addictive. So I've been addicted to drugs, alcohol, gambling, everything you can think of. I'm a, and now I'm addicted to work, of course. But um, <laughs> I, I know a little obsessive. bit of that. I know a little bit yeah, of that. Bet, back, in I the backstory, don't we? All right, go. But yeah, I'm 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 in sort of pretty intensive in the way that I do things, and luckily, I sort of got a little bit immersed in changing myself. So I just started quite small at the time. It was things like getting into a routine. It was going to the gym. It was going to the maths and English department. Uh, it was engaging with um, the, the mental health services and also rehabilitation of addicted prisoners trust program inside prison. I did nine months and um, they had given me an opportunity to go into rehab because I, I felt like I'd made a lot of changes, but I did this maths and English test and uh, it came up to, well, I did this maths and English class, functional skills, level one and two. I think it's the equivalent of a 10 year old, right? But that's the level I was at when I, when I had to get started. I left school with no GCSEs, I got expelled. Um, and I actually punched a wall when I had the test because I was so scared. Like, cause I was worried of being revealed as this buffoon that I've always thought I was. I genuinely thought I was really stupid. 
Like this is the, the crazy ironic thing. Like that belief of being bad and all that sort of stuff, it just fueled everything else to the point where I felt like a buffoon and I felt like I had nothing available to me and I was just scared of anyone finding out any moment. But I punched the wall and that, that indicated to me that I still had a lot of work to do. But then they took me to the hospital um, in a taxi, ironically, even though I was in prison, that's what they do, taxi with, with a security guard next to you in a, in a handcuff. And uh, I drove past where I was from, where I lived, and honestly, I just felt everything just go back to how it was when I just left. Like all that change felt like it just gone because I was in this different environment and I felt like things were changing, but then I realized nothing had changed. So I realized in that moment, like I've done nine months of development, but I'm literally just starting day one. This is, I need to do this intensively. And I got this opportunity to go to rehab, six months, fully intensive rehabilitation down in Portsmouth. You live there you know, and you, it's like big brother house. And oh my God, they escorted me from the prison gates after my prison sentence, took me down to Portsmouth and locked me in there. And I wasn't allowed to leave. It was part of my bail, my bail conditions, you know, on my probation. And they broke me down like that. And I thought they was going to teach me how to not drink, not take drugs and all that sort of stuff. No, no, no. They broke me down. They was, expo- they was talking about trauma. They was getting me to like dig deep. And so, uh, th- so basically therapy. Oh, it's therapy, 100% therapy. And, we, and I mean, obviously we're going to get to this. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but it was good. Oh God, yeah. I mean, I hated it at the time. I felt almost suicidal at some points. Um, and the thing is my head was just insane at the time. I, all these stories that you should tell myself about not needing wow. it and being able to do it on my own. And it was just trying to get me out every single day. Um, and the story that I tell often, and this is just like so simple, but it changed my life is I used to have these battles and nine times out of 10, the bad side of me, you know, the inner critic kind of thing would win and I'd end up fucking my life up basically. Um, but I started to get good at sort of having that argument with myself and having that battle and trying to, you know, stay doing what was supposed to be right. You know, but it was difficult to work out what was right, you know, because I was still finding that perspective over what's right, what's wrong. And then I started to win those arguments a little bit to the point where I wasn't leaving rehab and I was getting through the program. And then I wrote myself a little note right? And I literally said, dear Lewis, yeah, I said, you're doing the right thing. You've been here before. You're going to be here again. Keep going. Love the real Lewis, right? Because so love, this was like- Love Lewis Raymond Taylor, right? You know, yeah, so well, let's get not, it right. not quite, not quite. <laughs> not at this Lewis point, at but yeah, point. Okay. yeah. But it was like, I'd finally found this little part of me that wasn't sabotaging everything. And it was like, he was starting to nurture and grow. And I needed How to often did you that. read that note? Oh, I, I, well, this is what I did. I had it on the wall. Yeah. And every time I had this argument with myself and I won, as in I stayed there and I carried on doing what I thought was right, I'd sign it to remind oh. myself how many times I've come back. And there were just signatures all over the wall, obviously, by the end of it. Okay, let's pause because this is cool, <laughs> right? This is cool. I didn't even know half this, this part of the story. This is brilliant. Because um, I say to people a lot of times, again, very, very different context to your experience, but um, a goal or anything that you're trying to create is something not that you work towards, it's something that you come from, right? So you create the reality as best you can first, right? So it's almost like a vision which aligns to a purpose, right? You know, this is where I'm heading and this is why it matters. And once you have that, it's actually much easier to then do the things or do the work, in your case, quite extreme work to be able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's I I have a I have that conversation with people in the business context all the mm-hmm. time. And it makes a massive difference in terms of what they're building, but you've just defined it in a, in a different way, but a really powerful way from the life context. For really sure. cool. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's you, you might have heard of the inner coach and the inner critic, you know, the devil and the angel. There's the part wants you to succeed and there's the part that wants to hold you back and sabotage things. The problem is most most people that are having troubles, they don't hear two voices. They just hear one. And they don't know what to listen mm. to. You know, training yourself to know what are those sabotaging thoughts? What are those limiting beliefs? What are those fear-based ego thoughts? And what are the ones that, you know, actually empowering that are going to move you closer towards the things you want from life? And yeah, the, the more power you give to those empowering thoughts, the weaker, the more destructive ones become. And then the less you start to hear them to the point where now that the real Lewis that signed that bit of paper is now all I hear, you know? And I feel, I feel, like, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to like um, Tony Robbins 30 years ago here, Lewis. Really? Like where, where, well, there's a point where I was, I know, yeah, <laughs> it's a compliment. Um, I was listening to him this morning, actually, because I, I listen to some of his stuff all the time. Um, and he was talking about how he rebuilt himself from, mm. you know, pretty dramatic upbringing with his, with his mum in particular mm-hmm. and the work that he had to do to reprogram his psychology um, with affirmations and things like that, just to kind of get a different voice, as you just said, then a different message and, and a different meaning to that yeah. message. So I guess he, what, sorry, go on, carry on. Go on, carry I was going to say, I want to, I want to get into what, okay. cause you, cause you, you, you said you get into things, addictive personality quite extreme. Oh, yeah. So you've, you've had this, you've obviously gone into this, this, um, this rehab center and you've mm-hmm. learned a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here that you then had to take that, on, on your own steam, right? You you had to go into a bit of mastery around this and kind of go into your own practice and your own habits and all that. Yeah, I mean, I owe a lot to the the fellowships of things like Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous because that was what kind of that was my personal development at the time. And if you've learned much about twelve step recovery models and things, they're very. No, much- I'm fascinated by it because it's kind of a little bit of a secret handshake, isn't it? I mean, I know a little I, bit. I- like there's a guy called Rich Roll who has an amazing podcast um, and he went through addiction and now he's like mm-hmm. just, you know, transformed himself through endurance events okay. and he talks about it, but sort of also says you can't talk about it. <laughs> really? I, I think well, you're just not supposed to mention specific people that go, but I think you oh, can talk okay. about that because the 12 step recovery process, well, the 12 step model, you could apply it to all sorts of things from eating disorders to bereavement, to like religion. I mean, it's, it's quite wild, you know, used. It's like, principles where you develop yourself and you know you yeah you, you go on a journey and i and i started there you know i did 90 meetings in 90 days so i did a meeting every single day for 90 days and i sat in church halls and i said my name's lewis and i'm an alcoholic and i did the service which was like you know handing out the flyers and helping people with cups of tea really humbled myself you know and by this point i was I, I relocated to Portsmouth after I finished rehab and i was on benefits employment support allowance because i was you know apparently at the time sort of unable to work because of everything that I was going through and just started from scratch, absolute scratch. I mean, I had a push bike, you know, like a pedal bike and I would just cycle between these meetings. And that was the kind of the start of a new life for me, like square one. And in these meetings, um, it was, there was one day where a guy came up to me and he said, Oh mate, um, this is my first meeting or whatever, you know, can you help me out? And I thought, what are you asking me for? It's like, I'm just as bad as you, you know, there's no, there's no point asking me. And then I, and then I thought, Oh, hang on a minute. Okay. Okay. You can go, you can go and get a cup of tea over there and there's a, you can have a fag break halfway through. And then I thought, Oh, wow. I've actually helped that person. And ow, actually I felt quite good. And it's sort of, that was the first time I'd kind of try to help somebody and realized I could, you know, and then I just, I'm quite obsessive. So I, you know, I started to like get into charity. I was helping people in um, rehabs, for example, or um, what's it called? The job center. 
Yeah. You can go and volunteer in there. And uh, just started to, to fuel myself with it um, to the point where I realized that I'd actually had a bit of an ability to help people as well. Because at first of all, it was just like, oh, you can go and get a cup of tea over there. But then I was like, oh, let me just try and drop a little word of wisdom here and see how this lands. And then I realized that people were quite blown away with what I was saying, because I'd learned so much in those rehabs and the, and the, the, the alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous and the Narcotics Anonymous, because I'd, I'd heard people's stories. I'd seen their relapses. I'd seen their breakthroughs. I was absorbing all this. And also my personal journey, I was just getting like the best life coaching training the world's got to offer. You know, rehab, for example, that's $20,000 for that six month. I mean, I didn't, thank God I got the grant for it. I didn't have any money, but um, you know, that was a very intensive like training program. If you see it as one, you know, I didn't realize at the time. I thought no, it was and a lot personal. of people wouldn't take it, you know, and, and then think of it maybe in the way that you have thought about it, which we'll get into, right? Like they, mm. they sort of maybe heal where they're at. And then there's a point where they might go off and get a job and have a family mm. and have some stability maybe from when there was a lot of uncertainty, but not necessarily yeah. then take it to the next level. So yeah. yeah, I can see why. I mean, that's, that's pretty damn good grounding. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, better yeah. any course or mastermind you're going to pay for. For sure. And I, and I didn't at the time, didn't want to be a life coach. That wasn't, I didn't even know what one was. Right. But I just started to help people. So I actually used to like ask people online if they want to meet up in Costa Coffee in Portsmouth and if just want to help them for free. I just, I don't know. I just was just trying to play with it, see what, see what come up. And I started to really help people. And I started to say, well, let's do this for six weeks. Then I'll, I'll meet you every week here for six weeks, completely for free. And we'll just see what you get out at the end of it. And then I was helping people only with small things at the time. Like I helped one girl, um, start her own pet business. I helped one girl, I think split up with her toxic boyfriend, another girl that had a, like an eating disorder. She, she, she went to rehab and everything for like years. Couldn't, couldn't break this eating disorder. And I was able to break it down for her. Like it was crazy. I actually sat there and watched her eat a bowl of chips right in front of me. And she was just blown away. And it was just, and I realized I had this knack for it. Um, and then I was a Google searching it and I was like, hang on a minute. At, at the time I was calling myself a personal development mentor, but then I started Googling and I said, oh, coaching. And then I saw some courses, cheap ones, you know, the typical sort of $20 ones or whatever. I'd do a bit of that. Wow. I love this. Were you reading then, books at this time? Had you had like, you know, back to the, some of the great coaches, the Jim Rohns and all that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. you know, the really early masters of this stuff. Were, were you starting to get awareness of those guys at this point or not? Yeah. I've definitely read some coaching books. It came a bit later on, I would say, because at the time I didn't really know I was a coach, you know, it was more personal personal development I was into, I was going it from yeah. a personal point of view. And it was then once I helped myself, it was like, wow, I could do this for other people. But yeah, I've read a lot of books, but what, the main books that changed my life were those um, AA books, you know, yeah. they call it the big blue book. And it's just, yeah, I don't know if it would help anybody who's not in that space, but it was just the first bit of information that I ever read that I thought, wow, I can see how this is going to help me. And I understand everything they're saying and it makes sense and I can see a way out, you know? Um, just just to go there a little bit on this, because I mean, I don't want to break through all the 12 um, step model, but yeah. it, it just at a very high level, what is it? What's the journey it's taking you on? Is it, is it asking different questions at different steps that then get you to pose yeah. different thoughts around things? How's it work? Yeah, without going into all the steps, I mean, it's about first of all, you got to accept you got an issue because, okay. you know, and that's, changes, that's the whole famous changed. like, you know, I'm yeah. Lewis or I'm Nick and I'm an alcoholic. So as soon exactly. as you admit that publicly, I suppose, is important as well. Public accountability to some extent. Yep. Yep. That's okay. part of it. Um, and then you've got to hand your will over to a higher power. And this is where it gets a little bit sort That's of. That's all right. No, no, it's cool. Don't worry. We've done some mad and crazy shit yeah. this show. So Don't you worry. Higher power can mean whatever you want it to mean. It can be a religious thing. Some people do like use God. Some people use the power of the fellowship, i.e. The, the people that are in the meetings. Um, you pretty much mean whatever you want, but something you other use? than yourself. What, what was yours? Hmm. 
it's difficult because I've played with different ones. The, at the time, I probably would have said a, a god, although it was I wasn't religious, so I didn't yeah. study any religion. But I just so higher higher spirit or whatever it is, exactly whatever it is that, okay. a power greater than myself. That's all it. That's all there is, you know. And I yeah. do believe there is a hundred percent a power greater than ourselves. I don't know what that looks like, um, but you, you essentially got to do something different because what I realised is my way was not working. And the, when I really realised that, one little story, and I will say a short one. I was sure. in rehab. And when I first got there, I was really defensive. So I was crossing my arms and I was saying, I'm not, I'm not doing all that stuff. I'll do this, but I'm not doing all this crap. And then, you know, at one point, counselors just said to me, you know, why are you being like this? And I said, you're just trying to brainwash me. I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to like brainwash me and make me like all like the others. And I'm not into it. And uh, they said, Lewis, your best thinking, your absolute best thinking has put you into prison and now into rehab. Maybe your brain needs a good wash. And I thought, Oh, you got me there. And I just realized in that moment that my way was not working. I needed to do something different. I needed to try someone else's way because if I keep on relying on my own thinking at this point, before I've been able to sort of tame that thinking, then I'm going to end up back in prison. And that was kind of what I did with handing my will over. That's what they say. You got to hand your will over to a higher power, something greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity. That's what they say to restore you to sanity. Um, and you know, some of this stuff, it, it's worked, but then there's all sorts of things you got to do. Like you got to sort of write down a list of all the people you've harmed and begin making amends to them. And it can get very deep. And sometimes it can go over a couple of year period to completely fix those steps. But the far, the final step is to carry the message and continue to sort of sharing what you've learned with other people. That's just, that's just part of that sort of continuation program that they've got in it kind of thing. And, um, I don't know, I embodied a lot of it. You have to read them out almost like a, you know, you read these steps out and you sort of affirm them to yourself and draw them in. And I've embodied a lot of it and I've gone out and shared the message, not necessarily from AA or NA. I don't actually go to those meetings anymore. And in fact, I've actually recently had a, a couple of drinks, to be honest. Um, is, that, is that the first I, time you've had a drink? Because I take it there's a point where you wouldn't, you couldn't touch alcohol when you were going oh, yeah, through this for, whole process. For five years, I didn't touch a drink or drug, not a single thing, because I was, you know, convinced I was going to die. You know, in the, yeah. in the meetings, they say jails. Um, was it jails, institutions, and death. That's the only outcome of your of taking any drink or drug ever again. Um, and I and I lived by that for a long time, and it served me very well because it kept me safe. And then after a while, I realised that I did have another path, and that my, maybe I, you know, could sort of. And I did take a step back into it, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I'll let you know if I'm if I'm back in prison in a year's time. The drink wasn't a good idea, but at the moment. Okay, I'm well, well, let's hope not. So, what I'm going to do a couple of things here. So, firstly, I want to ask you a question about um, when you probably first acknowledged that you're a life coach or a coach in general, as opposed to just yeah. a personal development mentor. Uh, yeah. I don't want you to go any further than that because we're going to have a bit of fun. All right. So, okay. so, so let me know when that point was and how that came about. I would say we're pretty much at that point, you know, so I started to help people and then I realized I could, I could actually do this professionally and I started learning about it. And that was the point where I thought, okay, I could start a business here. Okay. So then you became more entrepreneurial around that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're going to jump, we're going to jump forward, right. For a bit of fun, okay. right. We'll do a bit of pattern interrupt for everyone listening. Right. So everyone's okay. heard, everyone's heard Lewis's story. And it's, as I said, I promise it would be one of the more entertaining <laughs> ones on this show. I mean, we've had people who have had legs cut off and we've had people who have been really? involved in terrorist stuff and wow. Navy SEALs who have been involved in um, uh, the Osama bin Laden thing. Wow. Right. We've okay. had all that, but you know, but your story is up there with all that. Now I'm just going to call this out, right? So just to be super clear here, Lewis is a tremendously successful business owner. He has a business at the moment that is worth in the millions of dollars. Okay. Now 
I'm going to call that out because you're probably too humble to say it. Now, that that's irrelevant to some extent because we're going to talk about um, impact and mission in a second. But I just want to kind of get people to kind of consider what's happened here. So this is a guy who came from a pretty challenged, um, disruptive um, background where a lot of people don't make it out, right? Let's be clear on that. A lot of people get stuck in that world and they stay in it. He's then obviously gone in and sorted everything out and changed the whole perspective on what he's being able to create and is now, you know, effectively running a business in the millions, which a lot of people who never even went through that type of experience never achieve. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. We Thank you. It's getting, nice getting, to hear that for sure. Sorry, I didn't get too embarrassed. You got a little bit red. It's all right. <laughs> but um, but let's get into this now. So you, so so a everyone now knows that you run a very very successful. Uh, I'm going to call it coaching community or tribe because it's a bit more mm. than a business these days. Um, let's just go through that journey. Like, how did mm-hmm. you go from now I'm a coach to now I've got this massive, you know, almost, almost starting to become an empire within this yeah. space. So I've got a, a very unique way of coaching and some of it wasn't learned. It was just a way that I did it based on my experiences. And yeah. that's kind of a little bit more rare to come across, you know, that experiential kind of understanding of how to change somebody, you know, I, I sometimes hear people and I hear their challenges and I, I just remember what that was like. And I kind of know exactly how I got out of that. And it's just hit it from a slightly different angle. Um, so I, I originally started coaching people and just getting great results, just really good results. Um, very quickly. So I built a six figure business in eight months. And this was when I was on, I started on benefits, right? So I went from benefits to six figures in eight months. And I was like, hold on, this is crazy. And this point, you know, it was starting to gain traction. People were messaging me. People wanted to learn what I was doing. People wanted to learn how I was coaching. People wanted to learn how I was building the business because I did it all entirely online. I was only doing basic things. Like I was sharing my story online, you know, yeah. simple now, but this was like five, six years ago. And it wasn't as normal then, you know, but I was sharing my story online. And I was reaching out to people and I was doing like Facebook video calls with my coaching sessions in Australia and America and stuff like this. And, and, and coaches that have been in the industry for like 30 years was kind of messaging me and saying, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? And I said, well, you just post a bit online. You just jump on some video calls and you just deliver great results. Um, and it's something just, organically- just stop on that for a second. That that's kind of the secret to a lot of success, by the way, regardless of coaching, <laughs> well, just, just keeping it well, simple well, and just going out there. Keep it, keep it simple. Um, share the message and, mm-hmm. you know, deliver great results, right? Like however yeah. you choose to do it. Sometimes people make it overly complex. So I just want to yeah, <laughs> jump absolutely. in on that. But back to yeah. one question before we continue the story, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, you say you have a unique way of doing things. I just want to probe yeah. that a bit. Is that an ability to see the problem maybe before the person themselves can identify? And therefore, as you see the problem, the answer becomes easier or have I just made that overly complex? <laughs> um, you'd, have, you'd have to ask our students, to be honest, because it's almost like it's difficult for me to completely tell you what that is. I just know that they are very blown away by what I do and what we do here at the Coaching Masters. And they just say it's unlike anything else. I don't really know so much how to compare it to something else. What I would say, though, is I keep it very simple, as simple as it possibly can be. A child can understand it. And I always use story to explain pretty much everything I do. Okay. So there's not that many theories. There's not that many models. And from, you know, from a, a self-understanding point of view, I just you know, I just get it, to be honest. I don't know how I don't want to say that without sounding too arrogant, but I just just get it. You know, sometimes when people says some, say something to me and they've got this issue, I see in sequences. So I can see kind of if I can ask this question and get to that, then I can get to this question and get to that. And then eventually we'll get there and then boom. And I see business in the same way. It's just very methodical. It's just very sequential. And it's just one leads to two, leads to three, leads to four. 
Um, and I can do that in coaching. I can do that in business, but I don't know if that's a, a normal thing. Um, it's, oh, it's an, you, you just opened up a massive question actually, because <laughs> um, we all have gifts um, depending on kind of how we approach things. Now, whether they are nature or nurture or how we get them, who knows, right? Um, it's very hard. That's the, that's the bit that's a bit unusual because some people might say, oh, perhaps I can learn what Lewis just said. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have certain abilities in what I do which work in certain situations, but in other situations, they will just not work, right? But mm-hmm. if you understand what they are, you can play in that lane. So absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's a bit of that, but you've, but you've managed to, I mean, you know, you've built a business around this, which is obviously helps a lot of people, but then you've, you've also got a business where you are training people to be, you know, great coaches. Mm-hmm. So yeah. is, is that about, is there any of the methodology in the training or is it just, sure. yeah. so you ha- you must it's have been so- able to package this a little bit or at least be able to explain yeah. it. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause I think I'm very visual. So I see things in my mind, you know, there's like a map. Right. And yeah, I can't teach people to see it in that way because they'd see it differently. They might hear it. They might feel it. They might do all sorts of other things. We talk about rep systems and stuff in our coach training, but, but what I can do is I can explain how, what I can see in a way that anybody can understand, you know, I can use story and I can make it simple and I can allow them to sort of, um, grasp it, you know, cause right. I think that most training is complicated theory-based and, and I think a lot of trainers, they try and share the most complicated things because they want to feel like they're sharing that golden nugget that nobody else knows. And they're trying to be the expert and they're trying to show off all the fancy words they've learned. But people don't want that. People want to keep it basic. They want to hear my story about the inner coach and the inner critic and the fact that you've got to listen to your inner coach. That's it, you know, and keeping it simple <laughs> because if they get it and they can apply it and they get results from it, that is all that matters. Nothing else matters. If they, Even if they're not that impressed by the substance of the training they've learned, as long as they go, ah, uh, the skill is the mess- The skill is the way the message lands, right? Yeah, it's not the message. So, so you know, because because you know, I find that like people, I, I went into business school for a bit, right? Not not what I call seriously into the whole MBA thing, but geez, it was difficult because it was all models. And mm-hmm. then if you go into the stuff now, the stuff that we do now, and you know about this, it's it's about listening, right? And 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 every diagnosis is very very different. It's not based on a model. It's based on an insight, and and sometimes it's just gut feel, right? based on, you know, having seen so many different things. So, so for you, I reckon that you've had to go through that journey so much. This is just my thought that you've had to work on it yourself and have to have so many different ways of thinking about it, maybe in your own Mm. head to kind of get to your outcome. You've trained it a little bit to be able to then see that in others. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've opened pathways, you know, your, your, your brain's used to thinking in the path of least resistance and it will just go around in a circle in a very small part of your brain if you're not used to accessing that thing. But, you know, when you've got to like break down trauma or, you know, overcome addiction or change your entire identity, you got to dig around in your brain like something crazy, you know, and, you, and it's and it's tough. But once you've done that, you're left with more space in there, you know, and more sort of neuro pathways to be able to access later on in the future. And I think, yeah, I think that has played a big part. Let's talk about impact now. And mission. Okay. So, so obviously, you know, this business has been successful and is still growing um, and becoming more successful. Uh, two questions, really. Firstly, what, what what do you think was, if there is one thing that has made the business grow as quickly as it has, mm-hmm. can you identify that before we go on to the impact of mission? So I've always thought I was stupid and I realized I wasn't, right? And as That's a good soon answer. as I realized, <laughs> as soon as I realized I wasn't, right, I just I thought, right, you know what? Well, I'll tell you what, stepping back a little bit, I've always was scared that I was stupid. I made a decision at some point, I can't remember exactly where it was, where I was going to, where I was going to find out, 
I was like, if I am stupid, I'm going to at least explore it. I'm not just going to keep bottling everything up and keep getting scared and punching walls and things. I'm just going to find out. And if I am stupid, cool. At least I've, you know, realized that. We used to know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just went on this. So I went back to, you spoke about education there, but I went back and did an access course. So I did a, a level three access course at college. And I went back as a mature student at 25 years old. And, um, I didn't know how to critically analyze or write a reference or anything. Cause I didn't even get, you know, my GCSEs, but I just wanted to try as hard as I could. And it was a load of kids that didn't care anyway, but I was competing with every one of them. And, um, I left that year with the highest marks in the entire college. So I got a distinction in every module and every subject and won an award. Right. And I realized, okay, I can kind of do anything, you know, it's that cheesy that sounds I was like, well, I never thought I could do that. You know, I thought all well, those kids were the smart ones and I was going to be like struggling, but no, 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 I was the smart one. So I just, it's just fueled me ever since. And everything that I do now, I, you know, as long as I try hard at it, you know, I, I can succeed. So I just, I just want to see what else I can do. You know, I'm just going for it now. So what's, what's the, what's the, let's jump forward a bit. That's awesome, by the way. And I think the, the, the truth also about that is, you know, if a lot of people just don't do enough of the work. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, for you, know, sure. you can Hard be good at pretty much it. anything. Like, you know, as the whole, I've got, I've got a whole heap of Michael Jordan stuff behind me here about, you know, how many shots you make, you know, to, to take the yeah. shot in the game that's going to win the championship. Right. It's all that. But what, what's the bigger thing now? So now that you've had um, personal success in terms mm -hmm. of transformation, you've got business success, which is still happening. What's the bigger, what's the bigger thing? So we want to change the face of the coaching industry um, without going into too much details about business models and things, because, you know, it's uh, needs some work. I think results need to be a little bit stronger, needs to be more regulated, needs to be more safe and secure. And um, we feel like we're well positioned to be somebody that can do that. You know, we're, we're already putting a massive dent in terms of the quality of the training, as far as we're concerned. You know, people are getting great results after doing our training and uh, we want to extend that out. You know, because coaching doesn't actually have the rap that it deserves and it doesn't have the exposure that it needs. It's, I, you know, if I'm blown away that I was able to change my life, you know, if anyone was ever going to change, it wasn't going to be me. But somehow it was like I was the worst, the worst out of my friends. You know, I was the one that was never going to change. My mum said to me, Lewis, we all know you're not going to make old bones. She even was like, rip me off. And I did change. So I was like, this stuff works. This stuff's life changing. It needs to be shared, you know, like. So I'm passionate about coaching. I know it works. I know I can help people with it. So I feel like I'm a good person to be that person that brings it to, to the masses. So that's, that's the mission. So the, so the Tony Robbins thing is like, I, I was right. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> I'll change my name again. Lewis, Lewis Raymond Robbins. Well, mind you, he changed it from Anthony to Tony and back again a million times. So maybe right. that was all part of it. I don't know. I, I'm meeting him in a few weeks on the show. So you're in good company. Right, awesome. So, Let's, tell him I said hi. Oh, I will. Oh, so there's a guy. <laughs> And he's kind of coming up the ranks here a bit. Yeah, yeah do it. <laughs> go to Bali and you can hang out with him, right? There you go. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, the business, we talked a little bit around it. It's called the Coaching Masters. Um, it is an interesting um, model in its own right. Um, and I, I sort of invite people to kind of have a look at it because there's a big community element to it, which I think adds some congruence to what you've just said, right? So it's about, you know, the experience as much as it did anything else. But just to kind of talk a little bit about what you said, I, and I agree with this fully, it's like, 
there's two, there's two things that come to mind. One is, you know, in the world of sport, we don't ever question that an elite sports professional would have a coach. I mean, it's like, yeah. of course, they've got a coach. Course, so yeah. so why would you not have one in any other area of your life, mm -hmm. right? That's the piece. And then the point you said about regulation, and and I think there is something in this because there was a really bad quote I heard the other day, but you just in your thoughts on this. It was that um, coaching is the new title for the unemployed. <laughs> you heard that before? Yeah, I think I heard you say it, actually. I might have said it somewhere. I thought, <laughs> I thought that's a bit unfair, right? It's a bit unfair because, you know, but, but there is an underlying point to this is that, you know, in your opinion, should there be some regulation or some standards maybe if it needs to be softened around this? Yeah, we're going to do it. We've already got, we're, we're already investing a lot of money into the technology to be able to do it. Um, so one of the oh, functions right. that we have, one of the functions we have on our app. So our app is... Uh, the, the four key functions are connect, grow, meet, exchange. Connect's our social media platform, grows our e-learning products. Meet is our global co-working spaces. And exchange is going to be a marketplace for coaches. And yeah, they can advertise their services, but they need to have you know the credentials. And they'll have to submit their qualifications, recorded coaching sessions, and they'll be scored um, based on their ability to serve people. And we'll also keep the payment in an escrow payment holding system. So they don't, they won't, we won't release the funds until the client is happy. So it's not oh, going to wow, be like that's full cool. legal um, sort of red, uh, regulation because, of course, you know, it's an unregulated industry and, and nobody can really do that. We are going to be exploring um, sort of legal routes at some point. Um, but for now, we're just going to, you know, as one of the up and coming emerging leaders in the coaching industry, we want to, you know, be taking that step. Someone's got to do it. And we feel like we're good people to do it. I'm not saying that the whole world and the whole coaching industry is going to use it, but there's definitely going to be a proportion of people that are going to be in a much safer position um, from using that service. So yeah, we'll get that built out, built out at the moment. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. I did. I knew, I know we did talk about it when we had our call a while back. <laughs> the thing is we moved quick, Nick, right? That was oh, an idea, was... but now it's happening, you know? Uh, well, I'll tell you, I tell you, just, just, to, you know, just for interest out of um, anything else, my background was in the education sector for a long time in credentialing um, and um, effectively awarding um, bodies here in the UK, cool. um, which have, which in some cases are too traditional and need to be disrupted in their own right. But um, mm. I just went and did a qualification myself uh, with an institute over in the US called the Exit Planning Institute, because I do a lot of, okay. as you know, um, planning, helping people exit their businesses. Mm -hmm. And I did that because, um, you know, a lot of people can go out there and say they do stuff, but it's good to have at least someone, at least some entity yeah. that, you know, has some standards, some professional standards, so that if a business owner in my world or someone in your world can come along and say, at least, at least there's something here, as you said, mm -hmm. that, that I'm not going to get the wrong advice. Right. Yeah. And in your world, maybe it's a little bit more tricky in my world. It's the same to some extent. You don't want to give the wrong advice. You don't want to be the person who's making this shit up because mm. you know, it can have quite big impacts. For sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, we're, we're dealing with people's lives here and the more training, the better. I think half the problem is the training in a lot of respects isn't stimulating and isn't, isn't results driven and isn't from people that truly understand how that works. And we're in this sort of culture now in the information era of content getting regurgitated and repositioned a million miles down the line to the point where no one knows what's good and what's real anymore. So yeah, quality training is important, you know, and if it's not there, people are going to avoid it. You know, I've known many coaches that don't even know what coaching is. Like I, I've literally met people and I've said, oh, they said, oh, I'm a coach. And, you know, it turns out they're like a consultant or they do something else. You know, they don't really know what coaching is. So it definitely needs some work and give it three years. Hopefully I'll come back on the podcast and we'll say we've made a big dent in it. Well, I'm going to ask you one last question. It's got two parts, if that's cool. Mm -hmm. First, first question is what does, what does the coaching masters look like in 20 years time? And the second question is, what does Lewis Raymond Taylor look like in 20 years' time? 
what's the world like that you've created around? Oh, okay. So the coaching masters, I see it as we, we di- diversify out into sort of mainstream education at some point. Like you mentioned, I feel like education is ripe for disruption. They're still Absolutely. sitting there and, you know, still sitting there in front of the chalkboards with a pen and paper in front of them, aren't they? And, um, you know, the, the, the education is traditionally, um, it is designed to create workers, you know, and it's just very linear traditional pathway that doesn't really teach people how to thrive. And we live in a modern world now where I've got abundance of resources where we can create our own business and our own freedom and our own lifestyle, but you're not going to learn that in your degree. So we, I'd like to create an alternative education pathway for people when they leave school um, to be able to decide to do something on their own and go through like an entrepreneurial journey. And I'm not saying I'm the only one that's had that idea or is doing that, but um, I just see that we're in ed tech at the moment, education technology. We're doing this in our niche at the moment, which is coaching. And I see that broadening out into personal development, like hypnotherapy and personal training and just sort of being, you know, an education provider that helps people that help people. And then ultimately I see that broadening out into the next generation education platform for wow, that's a everyone. Answer. That's a visionary answer, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had Naveen Jain on uh, last week. You may never have heard of him, but he's uh, he's worth eight billion dollars, oh. and he um, he's he's curing cancer right now. Wow. Okay. He's already, put, he's already put people on the moon, and that was his first business. Wow. He said his son is on his third unicorn. Oh my god! <laughs> Love growing up in that family. Wish I was but, a son. No, well, yeah, but the reason the reason it's interesting is he, he said, listen, you know, he, he, we talked a little bit about money, but it wasn't about money; it was about impact. He said, he said, you've got to solve the world's biggest problems, and he said, if you want to mm. be a billionaire, you've just got to solve a ten billion dollar problem, right? Yeah, um, and we talked about education in the same way, actually. So cool. And what about you personally? What what do you look like in twenty years' time? You know, when you you know this idea of looking back from kind of what you've created. It's an interesting one because like I'm already way ahead of what I would ever thought I could ever achieve my entire lifetime lifetime. So I don't really know what's next, but to answer answer the question, I would say <laughs> my goal would probably to become an investor at some point, a nice slot on dragon's den would be nice. Something like that. No, but make investment into sort of young technology-based startups. Once I've built this for myself, possibly exited, who knows? Um, and sort of made that huge mark on the world and supporting sort of more up and coming sort of new technology. Um, but also I have got a, um, a sort of childhood dream of um, being in performing or entertaining or acting in some respect. I don't quite know what it looks like, but I would like to be in film. Um, and actually something that we're playing around with the idea for long-term strategy, maybe five years plus is uh, to have a film made out of Leah, my business partner in our life, because we used to be called the, uh, we're going to be called the coaching masters, but we've also been called the prisoner and the postman because I was from prison and he was the postman. <laughs> and we've actually got like, You've obviously heard my story today and Lee and the business partner has got an incredible story as well of overcoming a terror attack and his dad committed suicide. And, and together we've got this rags to riches story and I think it could be a great film. So, you know, we've actually, we're looking into like really sort of, I wouldn't say a list, but mid range actors that could play us in roles. And um, yeah, that, <laughs> that, would be, that, that, that would be quite funny actually. Cause like, I always wonder if you get to choose the actor. <laughs> Oh, of course you do. Because yeah, of course, yeah, Hugh, Jackman, anyone, Hugh Jackman would play me, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, that would obviously. work. Um, but that's awesome. I mean, you, listen, yeah. I must say in the, in the short time that I've known you and Liam and that, like, you know, you're not short of ideas. That is for sure. No, no. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, you've created some pretty amazing things around, you know, that level of thinking um, and I suppose that level of dreaming maybe, right? So that's cool. Um, awesome, mate. That's great. I didn't know the full story. See, I guess that's, to hear that's about ten percent of it, Nick. We should have had three oh. hours, and I'd have really died. Uh, I'm <laughs> going to do some. It. I'm going to do some long form ones. I'm probably, I'm probably, there's probably some stuff there that I'm going to fall off my chair. I imagine, but um, yeah. But you know that was, that's the main bulk of it. But yeah, there's obviously lots of twists and turns in that. 
Awesome. Well, listen, mate, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Really, really cool. Great, great story. And I, and I know just any any time that we get into um, personal transformations, as much as we do business transformations, all of that stuff, it does inspire people. And then it kind of gets them thinking differently about what decisions they need to make in their life. So I know, you know, this last hour or so of conversation has definitely done that today. So I want to say thank you. Last question, if people want to reach out to you, Lewis, and they want to get in touch or look at your stuff, mm -hmm. um, let us know yeah. where they can find you. Yeah, feel free to connect on maybe Instagram. My handle is at Lewis Raymond Taylor. And if you want to check out The Coaching Masters, it's thecoachingmasters.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. As I said, great thank having you. you on Scale Up today and uh, a pleasure meeting you this last uh, year as well. So thank you. You too. P please mention me to Tony Robbins. Okay, I will. I'm going to say, in fact, <laughs> I'll, I'll, send, I'll, send, I'll, send, now. I'll send in the video. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me, Nick. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.